The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. Joining us on the phone is Jamie Fiore Higgins, who is the author of the new book, Bully Market. And I am very excited for this conversation because it is, the book is all about a toxic work environment and misogyny on Wall Street. And Jamie, I have a whole... Like I have three pages of questions. I mean, I got a lot, I got a lot of questions because I've never worked on Wall Street. I really have a very limited understanding of like what people even do on Wall Street. Like I think I didn't get into the class in college. I was like understanding the stock market, stock market, and I don't really know that I ever learned like properly. Um, and so in a lot of ways, my like my first question for you is like, what did you do for Goldman Sachs? Like on a day to day, what was your job there, and how long were you there? So my job at Goldman Sachs was supporting hedge funds, mainly through short selling. So you know the old adage of buy low, sell high? Mm -hmm. This is the opposite. So short sellers, for a myriad of reasons, look for securities that they feel are overvalued. They sell them in the market, hoping they drop in value to then buy them back. But in order to do this, you actually don't own the stock you sell short. You have to borrow it. Mm -hmm. And so that's where my group came in. I lent securities to facilitate short sales. Okay. I mean, my understanding is is very limited. As I said, like when I watch Billions, I'm like, what are they doing on their computers? Like, I'm literally like, what are they typing into their computers? I have no idea. And then I, when I interviewed Asia Kate Dillon from the show, I asked them, like, do you know what your job is? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm thank you for that explanation. I appreciate it. And I'm assuming some of you at home listening know more than I do. And some of you know, maybe less. So we're all going to start um, fresh here. When we're talking about Goldman Sachs, I mean, I think the assumption people have is like, maybe it looks like the Wolf of Wall Street or billions even. Um, and there's like, no women. So give us a give us a sense of the lay of the land. How many women are there at Goldman Sachs? You obviously were there. And you're, you talk in this book about how women, and we'll get to that, um, in some ways enabled some of the mistreatment and misogyny that you experienced and saw. Um, but what what's the breakdown in terms of the gender makeup of people that work it at Goldman Sachs in your field? Sure. So recently, just in the past couple of years, Goldman has made strides for hiring women. And in fact, I think 50% of new hires are women, which is fabulous. The issue is that representation slides. So at the partner level, which is the highest on that corporate food chain, representation is less than 20%. Mm. So although these firms are really good at hiring, these women don't stay. In my 
time when I was hired, which is quite a long time ago, it was 1998, there were a fair amount of women. I don't believe they were hitting that 50%. And for me, I often felt like, especially as I got more senior, the only woman in the room, mm. not only within Goldman, but also with clients. What, is, what does that feel like? I mean, I'm a black woman, so my experience is, is different from yours, um, but it, there are some overlapping things in terms of being the only in the room. I and mean, what does that feel like for you when you walk into a room and you realize, because maybe you, you don't realize at first because maybe somebody else is coming after you or whatever, right? You're like sort of waiting for maybe another woman to come and then you realize the meeting has started and you're the only one in there. Well, it was a really interesting experience for me because I went to an all-women's college. Mm. So for four years, mm -hmm. it was mm -hmm. all women mm -hmm. all the time. I mean, we had some sharing with other colleges locally. So there could be like a man or two in a class, but it was essentially all women. So I never forget that culture shock of walking in and being like, you know, it reminded me of um, one of these things is not like the other. Yeah, you know, exactly. From <laughs> from way back then. Um, it was an electric company. Uh, I forget the, the show. But yeah, you definitely felt like different. And in my experience, the reason why I did so well at Goldman is because I aligned my values and my interests with the majority in the room. Hmm. What does that mean? So so I one of the things that I um, I think people probably want to understand is like, okay, so you're a woman in Goldman Sachs, you're the only one in a lot of these rooms. Um, but you are continuing to succeed within the company. How were you able to do that? When you say you aligned your, um, your priorities with the majority in the room? What does that mean? What does that look like? Is that in your behavior in the way you approach the job? Um, help us understand. Yeah, that. It, it was kind of all encompassing. So it was towing the party line. So there were many times where I would say, for example, didn't agree with a hiring decision they were making or a firing decision they were making mm -hmm. where I felt they were targeting women as opposed to men. And I would speak up, but it was made very clear to me that I could fight City Hall, but I couldn't beat City Hall. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, my feedback was tolerated, but it was clear to me that if I wanted to achieve success, I had to agree with them. So for example, a woman I had mentored sued the firm and I was actually happy that she sued the firm for gender discrimination. And my partner called me into an office and said, outside counsel because of this suit wants to talk to you about the experience of working in my department as a woman and surely you would have nothing negative to say mm -hmm. because hey we're gonna we're gonna you know you're you're doing great in your career we want to promote you we want to pay you so what's negative about that and so i'm ashamed to say it i said nothing so that's kind of a business example and then also you assimilate, you follow their sports teams, you learn about their hobbies as if I cared about <laughs> scotch or bourbon 
or sailing. So it was both from the actual business and mm-hmm. also that personal. I would figure out what football games were won on Sundays just so I had something interesting to offer on Monday mornings. So it's that assimilation where our differences weren't celebrated. You had to kind of be like them in order to succeed. That's the sense that I get from the outside, but I'm so grateful that you explained it in that way because I think that's sort of where we have to sort of start before we get dive into the misogyny situation. So you're the only one in the room in a lot of these rooms. You you're, yes. you said you, you're trying to, you know, align yourself with, with their morals and values and, you know, you're looking up the football games. But at the same time, it's not like, you know, it's just that there are only men in the room. It's that when there are only men in the room – they act a certain way. <laughs> Tell us how they were acting. Tell us, describe for us um, the misogyny you saw and experienced. I mean, at least some of it, because I'm sure um, many of the examples, even in your book, you can't explain here on the on the radio. But give us an idea of what it's like to be um, the only in the room when the room is all men who have basically free reign to behave however they want to behave. Mm, Yeah, well, it's interesting in the writing of the book and going over the stories and experiences, I note that we were almost like posable figurines to be played with in their world. Mm. So for example, when I first started, and this is ironic, it was called a Facebook, but there was a book of all the ID pictures Mm -hmm. of all the new hires. And the guys would look at them like who, uh, for the women, and, you know, want to track who had the nicest legs, who had the nicest chest, who had the nicest butt. Oh, you know what? We should ask so-and-so for coffee. Look at her. She's gorgeous. So there was this kind of constant undercurrent that we were tokens And then on top of it, roles were assigned to us. So for example, when I first started, they used to call me Sister Jamie because I came in, I was very naive. I wasn't used to the off-color jokes, the banter I would- When you say off-color, what do you mean? It would be anything from um, racist comments, uh, slurs about sexual orientation. Um, you know, um, I, you know, I was, I was told that, you know, sex will get me further in my career than my GPA in college. So just this constant harassment was just an undercurrent. It was almost the white noise of the floor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then as I got more senior, the stakes got higher, Zerlina, because it was almost like they knew they got me with the money. Yep. And it was like a carrot that was dangled in front of my face over and over again. And I'm not proud of what I did, but I had a family of origin to support, a family I was growing to support. So then, for example, I was assaulted by one of my colleagues he was not happy with the decision I made about what client he was covering. And he pushed me against the wall, pinned me by my throat, wanted to rip my face off. And I was, it was a horrible experience. And, you know, the next day I told my manager about it and he said, you can report it. There are ways to do that at the firm, but we're not letting this person go because 
he had something better than a 4.0 from Harvard. He was a scratch golfer. And so he could get them on all these golf courses. So you see, once again, it's like their values. So that golf connection trumped this despicable behavior. And so that's kind of misogyny on like a different level. That is, I mean, well, it's a crime. <laughs> also, I mean, one of the things that I think is important to understand um, about some of the examples that we we talk about um, when it comes to even the Me Too movement, um, like some of the th- allegations people are talking about, there are crimes. Like people are prosecuted for those crimes and put into prison for those crimes. Assault is a crime against another human being. Um, and it's like, it's not like, oh, there was some misunderstanding. You should just let it go. Like he put hands on you without your consent and harmed you. That's a crime. Like I, 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 I feel so frustrated hearing that response, but also in my own life, sort of in my experience, um, understanding that moment where, you know, your serious assault um, I'm a survivor of sexual assault, so I understand the sort of your serious assault being framed as not that big of a deal because the person who did it matters more than you. Um, That's right. Yeah. Um, one of the other questions I had for you um, is, you know, when this misogyny is taking place, and as you said, like you were the only woman in a lot of rooms, but over the years, like Goldman Sachs tried to hire more women. So there are more women sort of over the years as um, we get closer to the present. But talk about how the women enable this behavior, because your book is not just about like, look at these men and how bad they were. It's also about how women participated in allowing this behavior to continue. A hundred percent. And I say that I was really successful at Goldman because I'm really good with numbers I have a really strong work ethic, but I was really good at keeping my mouth shut. And I think a lot of times I was compensated best for my silence. I think at Goldman, in my experience, there's a scarcity mindset, Zerlina, where it's as if there are so few spots for women, we're taught that it's a zero sum game. So in order for me to win, the other woman must lose, which looking back, I find so ironic because all the men are winning together. <laughs> and, so true. So and true. So for me, I saw it play out and I, I did it to myself. I did it, number one, to you know protect myself. So I didn't stand up for women when, um, when I should have, because I was basically told that if I wanted to get promoted and I would do well financially, I had to keep my mouth shut. But there's also this feeling that there's so few people, so few women that if you bring someone up, you might be asked to leave. I'll never Mm. forget, I was at this cocktail party for the Women's Network at Goldman. It should have been this amazing time where all these women were like bonding together. They were senior women, kind of the up and comer junior women. They were all around the six guys in the room fighting for airtime. So again, it's, and I think a lot of it is a representation issue because we need more women at the senior level and we need to fight that scarcity mindset that no, come on board. There's room for you. It's yes, me and you, not me or you. 
Oh my so gosh, you- this is the that we should write that down. You should put it on a shirt. That is <laughs> it. That's it. No, this applies in so many contexts. The crabs in a barrel mentality. I mean, this happens in black communities. This happens in media. I've experienced this. Um, you know, I, I what you're saying rings true for me and I think a lot of people listening at home because even in their own little, you know, corner of the world, they're like, wait, this is happening to me. Um, you know, the the person that I look to that could be a mentor to me, right? Somebody who's further along in their particular career that, you know, I'm in the same line of work. You know, I look to them as a role model. They could be a mentor, but instead they're trying to sabotage me. They're trying to undercut me. They're threatened um, because they don't want to lose their position as opposed to saying, well, maybe if I help the person coming behind me, I become stronger. Like, hasn't anybody ever thought of that? (laughs) A hundred percent. And I realized so much of I burned two decades of my career in this scarcity mindset, a scarcity mindset of opportunity, a scarcity mindset of money. Goldman tells lies that you could only leave Goldman once. People would kill for this job. Mm. You're a fool to leave. So it gave me this mindset where I was like in prison. And the truth was, Erlina, the prison door wasn't locked. Right. You could leave. I could leave whenever I wanted to. It's a powerful, um, and, powerful. And there's an abundance of opportunities in this world where you can be successful and you can make money and you could still look at your face in the mirror. And that's the world I want to live in now. I think that's such an important point. I mean, there are a lot of people that probably are on their way to that kind of job right now. And I'm not saying this in any sort of um, condemnation or anything like that. But I think that we all have to be really honest sometimes about um, you know, what we're participating in. And that scarcity mindset, get rid of that. You could, they, I followed this woman on TikTok. I mean, I, I'm not like really a TikToker, but um, I, re- I remember when I discovered her, I realized, you know, we live in a society in which you can take your specialty, whatever it is that you do that is special, that makes you special. And you can monetize that in any way you can. I mean, there are people on TikTok that monetize I, I followed um a woman who has a cleaning company and she has all of her like cleaning tips which are excellent by the way right mm-hmm. but i'm like you can literally monetize the fact that you know how to scrub a shower well and you can give t- people tips on how to do it better like p- you can monetize that, that i'm like she has sponsorships i mean she's like she's a book coming out and like a, a whole doc like it's a whole thing but like i just feel like you don't have to stay in the company that doesn't treat you right. You can leave you not. and go totally find somewhere that, that respects love, you. I love the entrepreneurial spirit of the world now. And that's why for me, you know, in some ways it's a cautionary tale. It's like, you don't have to sacrifice who you are for what you do. Mm. You can have a career that compensates you well, that you feel passionate about and that you feel good while you do it. And if you're not getting that where you are, there are other opportunities. Don't let anybody Jedi mind trick you to think otherwise. It's so, so true. So we only have two more minutes here. I mean, what's your advice to maybe women who are currently working on Wall Street? I mean, would you... Would you tell them to quit (laughs) or would you try to encourage them to call this stuff out? Is it dangerous for them still to do that? You know what? It very well might be. 
Um, my whole point is, you know, figure out what kind of career you want and what sacrifices you're willing to make. I always think of careers as like part compensation, part passion, part flexibility to kind of pursue, you know, what you want to do outside the office. People have to really look at their careers and assess it and make sure they have the balance they want. They're not having the experience at work that they want to. My feeling is I know it's easier said than done, but they have to speak up. Mm-hmm. And if their business is not aligned with their, you know, their, if the mission is not aligned with their morals, then they need to leave. And I do believe in this world now, there's plenty of opportunities. You can have a, you can have, to your point, this woman who's a cleaning lady, you can maybe become an amazing influencer about financial literacy for people mm-hmm. and what a gift that would be to people. So Who's think amazing? outside the box. Yeah. Don't think it's just these big companies that run the world. There's opportunities everywhere and have the confidence to walk away. Don't burn two decades of your life like I did to figure that out. That's really true. I mean, the woman on TikTok who has a cleaning company, I watch people on YouTube. I mean, I, I'm a you know, like an expert on K-pop. And so there are people on YouTube that make a living by watching K-pop videos and reacting to them on camera. There are people that do that. They get like 200,000 views on a video where they're just watching another video. Like, and reactions on, I mean, those ad, that ad revenue, people are living off of that. That's their whole job. You can do other things with your life. I promise you can. Yeah, and that's the opposite of scarcity, right? It's abundance, an abundance of opportunity. Exactly. Think of it that way. Somebody taught me that a really long time ago. Might have been an ex-boyfriend that I'm trying to forget. But um, but um, we'll keep that tidbit. That's but but I tidbit. but I think that the advice and the tip, you know, you take little nuggets from each situation, bring it to That's the next. Right. Um, take only the good, only the good. Don't don't take the bad. Work that out okay. in therapy. Um, Jamie Fiore Higgins. The book is Bully Market: My Story of Money and Misogyny at Goldman Sachs. It is out right now, and everybody should get it because this has been a great conversation. I want to continue reading this book because I want to know more about your experience. Um, and in order to be maybe even a louder voice um, to support the women who are still on Wall Street so that they can raise their voices too. Thank yeah, you so I much for being listen, here. I morning. might be the only one talking, but I'm not the only one with something to of say. Of course not. There's a, I mean, of course not. That's never, it's never, there's never just one woman, <laughs> you know. Um, thank you so much. It's been great to have you this morning. Please stay thank safe. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlinette. Check in for new episodes every weekday.